You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 715 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you live on a Sunday evening. I was down at State Farm Arena this evening. I'm now back home in my home studio with some better audio quality. So it's been a few hours since the end of the game, but a lot transpired down there at the arena this evening, including a double overtime victory by a score of 140, yes, 140, to 135 over the New York Knicks. Um, Before we get to the game, though, itself, there was a, a, I would say, an extended introductory press conference by the Hawks for three newcomers in advance of the game. Uh, a lot of times teams will bring in their newly acquired players for a press conference. And, and this time around, the Hawks did sort of a three-tiered press conference. It was Dwayne Dedman first because he actually played in this game. So it was before the game started. They wanted to have him an opportunity to go ahead and warm up. So you had Dedman and then Clint Capella and then Scalabissier and all all alongside Travis Schlank, the GM of the team. So I wanted to at least update you a few things on what was said before the game actually started. I had some audio uh, clip to play for you guys, and one of the files got, got corrupted, so my apologies for that, but I will uh, do my best to sort of fill in the gaps as to what was said by all the parties involved before the game actually started. Um, as for Deadman, we'll start there first. There were a lot, a lot, a lot of mentions about his voice and his leadership from both um, Travis Schlick and Lloyd Pierce. No big surprise there, given the fact that um, you know all the previous comments that were made. I said this on, honestly on the podcast that was um, after the trade was made known that I thought at least a part of the consideration for trading for Deadman had to do with his leadership, his leadership ability and the fact that he was this loud, booming, boisterous kind of voice in the locker room. And I think that was pretty clearly a, a priority for them based on the way that they were talking about it a little bit on Sunday afternoon. Um, Schlick also made a joke about starting to think about bringing Deadman back as soon as he actually got fined for asking out of Sacramento, which kind of got a laugh from everybody. Uh, but they, but he did say that they've been talking to the Kings since November about a deal with Deadman. So obviously not something that, ju- that just happened overnight. And there was plenty of buzz around that that we covered on this podcast. Also, there were some fit discussions, a lot of it with uh, revolving around Deadman being able to space the floor as a shooter. I think it was noted though, repeatedly. Um, I, I know, at least by uh, Pierce, that Deadman brings versatility and that he can also roll to the basket. He's not just a shooter, not just not just a pick-and-pop pick guy. I think I'm even guilty of this as well, focusing on his shooting quite a bit. But he's also someone who has played in a more traditional role as a role guy and as a rim protector, etc., etc. Uh, Schlenk did raise some eyebrows, including mine, when he offered up that, that Clint Capella and Deadman could play together at times. That seems to be not necessarily a primary look that I would be looking for, but still, it was something that he did say, and I I actually asked Pierce about that, um, as well as maybe Bruno Fernando playing the four, and he gave sort of a roundabout answer, but he did emphasize that they want versatility and being able to play big as a luxury that they haven't had recently. Um, he even made a joke about Vince having to play the five the other night against the uh, Sixers and Joel Embiid. So having a lot of lineup versatility definitely unlocks what Pierce is able to do there. I don't think that Bruno, that Bruno at the four, Debit at the four, is going to be a primary look for the Hawks. Um, you know, Bruno played the four a little bit on Sunday night, for instance. But when everybody's healthy, I can't imagine that's going to be a look that you're going to see a ton of. But it is something that you could do because of the fact that you have some shooting in Debman, for instance. And Capella's a good athlete, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Hawks did use Deadman and Len last year a little bit together. So that's something that could be useful in a pinch that they did talk about a little bit as an option. Um, as for the Capella portion of the uh, pregame introductory po- um, 
press conference. Um, Capella did say, I, I mean, for me, there was lots of stuff said that I'm going to sort of gloss over. I'm sure people will write about some stuff. There was some standard press conference fare that was out there. But Capella did say that his heel is still bothering him and he's aiming for a post-All-Star break return. Schlenk almost cut him off with that answer, actually. Um, and, that he, he, and then Schlenk said that Chelsea Lane, the team's uh, training staff head, um, has not looked fully at Capella or Scalabissier, by the way. Um, and repeatedly, Schlenk said that, quote, we're not going to rush him, end quote. It makes a ton of sense if you were the Hawks to be careful with Capella because he's under contract for three, three more seasons after this year. And uh, candidly, this year is not the concern for mostly anything at the moment. You want some development, obviously, but when you're talking about a guy that has an injury issue right now, there's no reason to push Capella whatsoever. Um, just for the record, Capella is officially listed as out with, quote, right calcaneus, I think it was with the way you put that, contusion and plantar fasciitis, end quote. Um, I will say that Schlenk, or no, sorry, Pierce, I should say, Pierce did hint that he might be actually ahead of Scalabissier in terms of his injury timeline return, and Capella did say that he's, uh, you know, again, feeling better and wanting to come back after the All-Star break, which is not too far away. That, that actually sounds further away than it actually is. The Hawks only play two more games before the, before the break, so we'll see if he's able to play shortly after the break, but that's, that's the latest update that I have at this point in time. Capella also made a comment that he felt like a rookie in, in Houston at times, feeling more, more like a veteran in Atlanta. I thought that was pretty noteworthy in the way that he said it. Um, nothing hugely groundbreaking, I will say, from Capella or Schlenk on the whole thing. Um, did, Schlenk did emphasize that his ability defensively and as a rim runner on offense, pretty straightforward, honestly. Capella talked about rim running quite a bit in his discussions as well. So nothing huge there. We talked about Capella quite a bit on the podcast. If you want to listen more about Capella, um, go back and listen to those, to those shows. And we'll obviously be covering, be covering him more as he starts to play for the Hawks in the coming weeks. Last thing on the pregame stuff, um, Scalabissier was introduced last. Schlenk said he's actually tried to acquire Scal multiple times, even going back to his work in Golden State. So that's been a while now for Travis. And uh, also Schlenk brought up unprompted that he uh, is a restrictive reagent this summer, talking about Scal. Um, obviously, that's something that we, that, we, that we mentioned on the podcast when we talked about him, but that's something that he you know, doesn't have to bring up there. So I think Scal might be a long-term consideration for the Hawks if he is able to make a good, positive impression over the next few weeks and months. Um should be noted, though, that Scal has not played since December 28th with a knee injury. There is no full-time table for his return at this point in time. Schlenk said the same thing about Chelsea Lane needed to see him as he, as he did about um, Click Capella. Also, it didn't seem as if it was going to be super soon, though, for Scalabissi. That's me editorializing a little bit, but between that and Pierce saying that he, he feels that Capella might be uh, closer than Scal. It might be a few weeks here for Lebissier, and it's already been out for five, six weeks now. So keep that. Keep, we'll keep an eye on that. And also, the official listing for Lebissier is out with a left knee chondral injury. So who knows about that? I'm not an expert, but uh, might be a little bit of time there for Scal Lebissier. Um, at last thing here, Pierce did say uh, did talk about a lot, a lot about the game and his availability. He's kind of it was his normal pregame press conference, but he did say something that I, I think fans will definitely want to hear. I'm going to read the quote to you now, quoting Pierce now. There was a question asked a few days ago of, are you satisfied with the decisions of the trade deadline? I'll be satisfied when we when we win a championship. Everything up to that point is about us continuing to grow this organization, end quote. So obviously that's something that just coaches do say, but Pierce was pretty, uh, can, you know, Pierce is pretty candid. And the fact that he wanted to spin it back to the championship pursuit, I, I thought was definitely noteworthy because if you're, if you're, if you're a fan of a, of a rebuilding team, you definitely want that to be the case, and Pierce uh, is focused on that and growing the franchise. That's kind of how I tr how I try to view, uh, view the analysis. 
on this podcast, just talking about the fact that, you know, ultimately the whole point of rebuilding is to try to build a contender, and the Hawks are looking to do that with all their moves, so there you go on that. Okay, that's a lot to talk about, I know, but we'll come back with uh, actual game talk in a, again, a double overtime thriller, I would say, uh, it's probably the best word to put that. Before we get to the uh, game portion of the podcast, I do want to talk to you about the good folks at Echelon. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for over- overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, from busy moms and dads to first responders and elite athletes. Whatever your activity level, Echelon has something for you. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to set foot in a gym. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less, at less than half of the, of the price of a Peloton. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give your money right back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A to learn about the limited-time free Apple iPad and complete details of that exclusive offer. EC. H-E-L-O-N-F-I-T dot com slash L-O-N-B-A, echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A, echelon. It's your time. All right, we'll dig into the game itself. Again, a lot transpired in this spot. Some some context here before we get to the actual game action. The Knicks were on a back-to-back. So, you know, coming into the game, the Hawks were actually favored by as many as five and a half points, which is a pretty rare occasion this season for the Hawks. In fact, it was the second largest point spread of the season in favor of Atlanta, behind only the Warriors game at home, which the Hawks won comfortably. And because the Knicks were on a back-to-back, this is the rare occasion this season where the Hawks actually had a, a tangible rest advantage. Although the Knicks had won four straight games, the Hawks were in a pretty favorable spot, particularly when it was uh, ruled that Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter were both going to actually play and start in this game. They were, they were both questionable coming into the game. Also, Bruno Fernando came back. He only played once since January 26th, so welcome back, Bruno. Um, the two guys that did not play that had some uncertainty were DeAndre Membry and Cam Reddish. But we'll keep an eye on those guys moving forward. It doesn't seem like much to talk about, but the Hawks had 12 active players in this game, and uh, based on the last couple of games, that was actually quite a quite a, quite a deep feeling bench for the Hawks. Even if there were not, there were some lineups that did not present themselves that were fantastic in this spot. Okay, to the game itself. Uh, back and forth in the early going, I will say the Hawks did have some uh, some defensive issues. I would say here in the in the early going. Um, a 9-0 run by the Knicks to go up by 10 points. The Hawks were allowing 1.5 points per possession in the first several minutes of this game, which is pretty ugly. Um, Dwayne Devin, though, made a positive impression from the early going. Uh, he was the first sub, came in pretty early for Damian Jones, had four had four quick points and a block shot in the first few minutes of his play. Um, Julius Randle, though, had a, bit, had a big start for the Knicks. And the first quarter was kind of brutal overall for Atlanta. They actually lost the quarter by 11 points. They shot 31% from the floor. There were two of... Th- 10 from 3, and uh, there was a bold and brutal lineup choice that the Hawks made at, at times in the first quarter. It was Jeff Teague, Brandon Goodwin, Trey Young Graham, Vince Carter, and Damian Jones. Um, that's not going to work, and it didn't work in this game. By the way, the Hawks had three weird-slash-bad air balls in the first quarter. It was kind of just a sloppy performance overall. If you want to be favorable, the Hawks were much better than that from that point forward, but the first quarter does count, and it was a little bit a little bit sluggish, I would say, in the opening minutes. In fact, the Hawks were down by 15 at one point early in the second quarter, um, despite the fact that they went small. Um, they were able to reel off a little bit of a run, though. It was a great pass by Trey Young and a great finish by John Collins on an and-one to get back within five points, and then two plays later, Young found Collins again for an alley-oop dunk. Collins had eight point, sorry, 18 points in the first 13 minutes of play that he had. He was fantastic in the first half. The Hawks had a 16-4 overall run to get back within three after falling behind, falling behind by that 15-point margin, and then they came back all the way to tie it at 46-46. 
the Hawks just did a fantastic job of protecting the ball in the first half. They had two turnovers in the entire first half, which for a team that is among the worst in the league at protecting the ball, that's a huge step forward for the Hawks. That was probably the biggest reason why they were able to hold serve and play well overall in the first half. Um, Pretty, pretty back and forth, and actually the Hawks had a chance to lead at the halftime break when DeAndre Hunter missed a three in the final seconds, but still um, only down by two despite some shaky shooting because of the turnovers that they were able to, able to avoid. Defensively, there were some issues. They allowed eight, eight offensive rebounds, but the Hawks uh, did turn the ball over um, in terms of forcing them for the next eight times in the first half, and that was a nice equalizer there. Collins had 20 in the first half. Trey Young had 14 and 5. In the second quarter alone, the Hawks had 41 points on um, 54, 54% shooting. So the second quarter was lights out for Atlanta's offense. And that was a, a big part, a big part of them coming back and uh, sort of getting into the mix there. The third quarter was also quite favorable for the Hawks. Um, at times it was 33 to 20 in their favor. It was a nine to two run to open up the half. And then a 13 to three run shortly after that to go up by a 12 points. That was largely the night for Atlanta at that, at that stage. That featured a run of three straight threes from Herter, who hit two of them, and then Trey Young as well. Um, the Hawks did play a little bit, sh- a little bit more shallow in the second half. In fact, neither Vince Carter nor Brandon Goodwin played at all after halftime, and Travion Graham only played one stint after halftime, so it was a much shorter bench in the second half than it was in the first, which isn't a huge surprise in a game that was pretty close, but still worth pointing out. The Hawks shot the ball fantastically well in the third quarter. 62% from the floor, 50% from three. Uh, Kevin Herter had 10 points. The team had 10 assists in the third quarter alone. The Hawks only had 29 assists for the entire game, and that that includes two overtime periods. So they had 10 assists in that one quarter, and then 19 in the other three and a half, maybe three three and three quarters of quarters. So uh, there you go on that. It's kind of a weird anomaly stat. And the Hawks did win the middle middle two quarters in this game by 22 points. Um, So... It, does, it might seem uh, crazy if you haven't watched this game to say everything that I had just that I had to just say and have the Hawks still go to double overtime, but the fourth quarter was not very good for Atlanta. In fact, the Hawks go up by 16. Yes, yeah, 16 points. They scored the first five of the fourth quarter off of a De- uh, Dwayne Debman three, and suddenly the Hawks look like they're going to pull away. But from that point forward, the rest of the regulation time, it was pretty hide- pretty hideous for the Hawks. The Knicks scored eight points in the next four possessions to get back within 10. The Hawks were up by 14 again with nine to go, but then back-to-back threes by Wayne, by Wayne Ellington to get back within six. Sorry, back within eight. And the Hawks did get a nice layup after a timeout by John Collins, but um, sort of a slow, be- a slow bleed from there. It was a 12-2 overall run from where the Hawks were up by 14 all the way down to 10 within two possessions, and uh, six minutes to go, suddenly a four-point game, and it's a lot of back and forth from that point forward. So the real collapse happened at that point. From there, it was kind of frustrating. Some, there was a weird lineup, actually, at one point when the Hawks were using uh, Damian Jones and DeAndre Hunter at the four and the five together. That did not work out very well, and there was some um, weirdness with the substitution patterns that I didn't love in the fourth quarter. Still, you know, the Hawks come back in with their closing lineup at about, at about the three-and-a-half-minute mark. It was with Dwayne Dedman as the uh, closing five, by the way. Um, and then a nice... I would say a nice high-arching shot off glass by Trey Young to go up by seven points with three and a half minutes to go. So even after that sort of storm had been weathered, the Hawks were in good shape. But then from there, a lot of back and forth. I don't want to go through all of the uh, nuts and bolts because there's two more overtimes to go. But, you know, the Hawks essentially up two with about a minute to go. And then Devin Devin misses a wide-open three in the corner with 51 51 seconds to go. That probably would have sealed it, honestly, for the Hawks. 
Then Dedman had a nice block on the other end of the floor, but the, after the ball went out, the ball went out of bounds, Dedman fouled Julius Randle, who makes both, and suddenly the game is tied. So it went from a potential dagger all the way down to a tie game with 30 seconds to go. Trey Young then threw a, a pretty bad pass by his standards. It was intercepted, uh, but the Hawks did force Julius Randle into a, uh, a tough miss, and that was the end of that. Um, the Hawks did actually have one more, one more chance at, at the uh, stealing the win of the, in regulation, though, because Kevin Herter had a nice heads-up play to call timeout off the rebound. Then the Hawks, after review, had the ball with 1.2 seconds to go. Actually, ran, ran a fantastic play. Trey Young gets the ball, catches it heading downhill, and misses a floater over Mitchell Robinson. That if uh, if it was it was actually good if it went. So um, it was a good look. It was a good look. I will say, if you look at it on replay, Trey probably should have just pulled up and shot a jump shot. Um, but he he took he took a dribble and then shot a floater. And Mitchell Robinson is enormous, so he had to, he had to put that thing up pretty high in the air. Still a good look, and you're thrilled with that. And <laughs> in, in that spot, if you're the Hawks, it just, it just didn't fall, and you go to overtime from there. Now. In the overtime period, the Hawks were still in brutal shape at one point in time. Fast forward a little bit here through some other stuff. The Hawks just played terrible, honestly, in the early portion of the, of the overtime period. Lloyd Pierce said the same thing um, as I am saying now. It was really just kind of inexplicably bad early on in the uh, overtime. Um, there was there were several turnovers. In fact, two from Dwayne Dedman in the sh- in a short period of time. The Herder overthrew a lob pass to Dedman for a turnover. So the Hawks had three turnovers at least, maybe even four in the first three minutes of the overtime period. And suddenly, after a couple of free throws are split by Julius Randle, the Hawks are down by eight with 155 to go in the overtime period. Then the Hawks missed a floater on the next possession. So if I just tell you this, the Hawks are down eight with two minutes to go in overtime. Then Atlanta gets the ball back and does not score on that possession. Do they win? <laughs> um, they did in this game, somehow. Because um, from there, it was all Hawks, fortunately, and the Hawks played well to get it back close quickly. But um, they missed the floater. The Hawks finally get a stop. And then Troy hits the next one to go back. Suddenly, the Hawks are down by six still with 129 to go. And still, you're a major, you're a major underdog at that point in time, down six with 90 seconds left. But then... The Knicks started collapsing on their own. Uh, Reggie Bullock, who I like quite a bit, had a brain cramp that was pretty severe. He had a wide-open three-pointer that he could have taken with four on the shot clock, and he passed on it because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. In fact, I'm pretty confident that he didn't know the shot clock was going to expire, and then the Knicks got a shot, shot clock violation from there. Then they allowed Trey to waltz to the rim and get a layup to go down by four. Still, the Hawks are in tough shape there. But after another mishap, when Wayne Ellington missed what was a wide-open pass for... Uh, Mr. Robinson to have a dunk. The Knicks didn't score there either because Randall uh, got blocked by John Collins on a play that probably was a foul on Collins, I have to say, on replay, but still a nice nice break there for the Hawks at home. They get a stop. Trey then misses at the rim, but then Collins tips it in, and Atlanta, after all of that, is down by two with 33, 33 seconds to go. Now, you're still an underdog in that point because you're down by two, but... Alfred Payton, who had been great in the, at the end of regulation, um, turned it over on a pretty hilariously bad traveling violation. But I will say, it was great deal by Trey Young on that play. And you know, Trey's defense has been a point of contention for everyone basically all season long and for two years now. But that was a great play by Trey defensively to uh, help force in, uh, Payton into the traveling violation. Atlanta gets the ball back there with 12 seconds to go or so, down two. Trey immediately gets to the rim, gets fouled, makes both with seven seconds to go, and, uh, and and the game is tied. Now, the Knicks had a chance to win it in a tie game, but they barely even got a shot off. Honestly, it was more like a heave that didn't even have any prayer of falling down, and suddenly you're going to overtime in a game, uh, sorry, a double overtime in a game where you were down by eight with about 140 to go. So, yeah, you know, the Hawks collapsed in, in regulation, the Knicks collapsed in overtime, and we go to we go to overtime period number two. Now, in period number two, 
There's a lot to talk about in this game, in this portion of the game as well. In fact, Dwayne Dedman follows out on the first possession defensively of the second overtime, and the Hawks are down by two. And then they go to Je- they, they go to they go to Jeff Teague instead of De- instead of Dwayne Dedman because uh, Dedman has to come out of the game now against a Knicks team that had been bullying them on the glass for most of the night with Randall and Robinson. You might think that the Hawks would go big, but obviously Lloyd Pierce trusted Jeff Teague more than everybody else. It's kind of a low bar to clear, but it's it's kind of, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement of guys like Damian Jones that they wouldn't have gone to him there. Bruno Fernando had the had a minutes limit in this game of 15, so he, he had not reached it yet, but he had not been playing for quite some time, so I understand that one. But Damian, you know, it's kind of a kind of a uh, black eye, I would say, to not go back to him when the Hawks just needed to have some more size on the floor. But anyway, it worked out in favor of Atlanta. Um, Trey Young got to the line at will at the uh, beginning of the second overtime, got there multiple times in a row, missed a deep three, but then uh, DeAndre Hunter hit probably the biggest shot of the game at that point, going up by four with 2.30 to go, and suddenly the Hawks are in control at that point in time. They got a steal. Trey got stopped at the rim and transitioned, but after a loose ball, the ball got kicked back to Trey Young on the left side. He had a dagger three from that point forward that actually ended the game in retrospect with the Hawks going up by seven with 2.12 to go. Trey had 23 points in the first, uh, you know, about, I guess about a quarter and a half at that point in time. After a timeout, Randall did get back to the line and score for the Knicks, and then, in fact, the Hawks were only up by three after a bucket by, by Alfred Payton. Um, but after a traveling call that was a weird, weird traveling call on the Hawks, they got a stop that they absolutely needed in that spot. And then DeAndre Hunter with a massive rebound, I will say. Shout out to, shout out to DeAndre Hunter for that seal and rebound there in that spot to keep the lead at three. The Hawks up by three there, um, and weirdly, the Knicks foul when they didn't actually have to. They they fouled Young with 16 seconds to go, and then that was really bad because then they had then they had to foul from that point forward, and they put Young on the line once again. He makes both to go up by five again with 12 seconds to go, and uh, because they let the ball get, to get back to Trey Young again on the next inbound pass, that was the end of that. So, I know that's a lot to throw at you guys, but in short, the Hawks up 16 in the fourth. They blow it all the way down to a regulation. The Knicks up eight in the first overtime. They blow it, and then the Hawks get up seven, nearly blow it in the second overtime, but then they hang on for their first overtime win of the season, by the way, for Atlanta. So, big picture, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the stats in this game. The Hawks did a good job offensively. A 115 offensive rating is very good, even though they did not, they did not shoot the ball fantastically. 45% from the floor, 35% from three. That's just fine. It's not elite, but it's just fine. 90, though, percent from the line, 28 of 31. Trey Young was 16 of 16. John Collins was 7 of 9, so that was huge from those two guys. And then turnover-wise, it's kind of funny. I made a big deal earlier about how they only had two at the end of the first half. They still ended the game with 15 because of the extra time and a lack of uh, ball security at times. But offensively, they did a pretty good job all night long, and that's how you end up with 140 in a 58-minute game. Defensively, it was a mixed bag. It was not terrible by any means. I thought the first the first quarter was pretty rough with a lot of breakdowns, but after that, there was a brief time in the fourth quarter when it was kind of rough, but honestly, from, from the bulk of the game, it's pretty good defensively, and a 111 defensive rating is not anything to sneeze at. It's not great, but it's not terrible either. Okay, to the individual portion of the podcast, it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, we'll dive through this as fast as we can. Um, there were four guys on the Hawks roster that only played single-digit minutes in this game. We will breeze through those. Trayvon Graham didn't have his jump shot in this game. Made a couple of nice plays defensively, but that was kind of it for him. Vince Carter only played one stint, three minutes for Vince. I'm not sure if that was impo- if that was on purpose because the Hawks do have a back-to-back. By the way, in this game they have to go to my they have to go to, sorry to Orlando on Monday, so they could have been holding Vince out for that one because it's kind of tough to ask him to play two nights in a row at this point in his career. But he only played that one stint. 
And then Brandon Goodwin, who was a hero on Friday in the comeback attempt, only played four minutes in this game. So they went, they went back to Jeff Teague pretty heavily. As I said before, Bruno Fernando, only nine minutes, two points, four rebounds in his in his return. There were some nice moments from Bruno, but not too much to take away there. And then, of course, Charlie Brown did not play at all. So with all that said about all the depth that the Hawks had in this game, um, they did not really use it for the most part. There were only seven guys that played more than 15 minutes, and there were only six guys that played even more than that. So, yeah, kind of rough in some, in some respects. But... The two guys that did play real minutes off the bench, Dwayne Dedman, 10 points, 8 rebounds, 5 block shots. Did have 4 turnovers and 6 fouls. He fouled out of the game in 33 minutes, but it was nice to see Dwayne back in the game. I tweeted this during the game, but I will say it again now. You know, Dedman's going to have to make threes to play as well as he did when he was in Atlanta the first time around. But, I mean, already in this game, you can see that he's already an upgrade on everyone that the Hawks have had at center this year, with the possible exception of Alex Lynn. And even then, I think Devin is probably a better player, but if he's making shots. Lynn is at least the only other guy who, who I thought was at least a, a reasonable rotation option that the Hawks have been playing this year at center, but he hasn't played in a long time. So even then, like the last several weeks without Alex Lynn, it's been even worse. But Devin... Still on a night when he didn't shoot the ball well, he's 4 of 12 from the floor, 1 of 5 from 3. There was definitely some rust there. There were also a lot of highlights from Dwayne. Just to have him on the court is very helpful. It's something that, you, that I want to make sure I say. You know, Devin has not had a practice with this team, and I know he knows the system. That's not up for debate. In fact, Lloyd was talking about how he, he was even teaching guys some stuff from last year um, that was uh, kind of funny. He was talking about basically how Dwayne understands everything. But... He's not playing with DeAndre Hunter. He's not played with Bruno Fernando. He's not played with Jeff T. Um, he's not played with all these guys, Damian Jones, and obviously he didn't play with Damian in this game either. But um, you have to put you have to point that out that Dwayne's going to need some practice time to have all of the uh, sort of wrinkles ironed out a little bit here. But I thought Devin was already bringing them a nice positive addition, and uh, that's worth pointing out here. Jeff T played a little bit more than he was probably supposed to, basically based on the fact that he played the entire second overtime period. Uh, Ten points, sorry, eight points. Six assists, three rebounds for Jeff. He was okay. I didn't think he was fantastic, but I think he uh, obviously earned the trust more of Pierce in this game than Goodwin did, and they went with him as a result of that. To the starters, Damian Jones, 15 minutes of play, did not attempt a shot. He had no points, four rebounds, and a block shot. I thought Damian was actually more aggressive defensively and probably in a good way um, than he had been recently. I'm not sure if he was spurred on by the addition of all these centers to try to take his minutes away, but um, not a huge impact. But I actually thought Damian was a little bit better than he uh, normally is as sort, of, as sort of a baseline. But quite obviously, the Hawks didn't trust him cold to go back in the game there at the end, and they went, and they went with, the, with the more veteran guy in Teague. Um, the other four guys that started played 48 minutes or more. Um, again, that's because of the double overtime, but even if you took, took, took all those out, they ended regulation with Hunter at 38, Young at 38, Herter at 38, and Collins at 40. Now, you don't always see that from the Hawks. They don't always push like that, but I think that Pierce thought this is a winnable game, and they won it, and there you go. Um, individually, Kevin Herter was okay, I thought. 16 points, 6, six assists, 3 rebounds in his 48 minutes. He was 6 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3. Nothing... Fantastic from Kevin, but I think he's still playing the best basketball of his career for the most part. So good to see him sort of capitalize on that a little bit more. DeAndre Hunter was pretty good, I thought. 19 points. Five steals is a huge number for Hunter, who has not been the most aggressive guy always at generating havoc defensively. Good to see him sort of produce in that way. Nine rebounds as well. 
couple of rookie moments, to be sure, at the end of regulation. I thought he uh, struggled a little bit defensively and had some issues, but he had a massive rebound to sort of help seal the game, double overtime. And I thought it was a generally positive night for DeAndre, 19-9 in 48 minutes. Then there were the big two. John Collins, 32 points, 16 rebounds, a fantastic game from John. 12 of 19 from the floor, 7 of 9 from the free throw line. He was very good in this game. In fact, the Hawks were plus 9 in his minutes, and that was not a fluke. Whenever he, whenever he's able to play, the Hawks are just a different basketball team. It's been that, it's been the case like that for two seasons now. So there you go on that. And then Trey Young, another huge game, obviously, for Trey. 48 points, 13 assists. You know, a lot of that damage was done um, late, but still, that's when it matters most. Seven turnovers is too many. In fact, he had a couple of really bad ones, I thought, in regulation at the end, and then there's one in overtime that he, that he definitely wants back. But overall, you know, what are you, you going to say? 48 points is 48 points. 13 of 30 from the floor could be more efficient, but still uh, 6, of 13, 6 of 13 from the free, from three point range. That's actually that's obviously quite good. And then a perfect 16 of 16 from the free throw line. Like I said before, it, it's it's very nice for the Hawks to be able to just kind of give the ball to Trey and say, go to the line and get fouled. And Trey is not automatic at the line, but he's very good at the free throw line. And in this game, he was automatic. He actually made, a ball, made all 16, but he got to the line at will at the end of this game. And even when, you know, obviously at the very, very end, when they were trying to foul, it's good to have a point guard that can kind of just be ice at the free throw line. But even at the beginning of regulation, they basically just said, Trey, go to the rim. That was a part that was a part of the game plan, according to Lloyd Pierce, and it definitely worked out very well in this spot. And Trey uh, was plus 10. He was fantastic, and he was the biggest reason why the Hawks won this game overall. So um, I know that's a little bit longer podcast than I normally would do about a game, but uh, because of all the pregame stuff and the fact this game went to double overtime, I'm sure I'm rambling a little bit on the podcast, but alas, there we are. Um, in general, a you know a solid win. I will say it was frustrating to watch if you were a Hawks fan, I'm sure, in the fourth quarter, watching the game get away from them because, honestly, up 16 against a pretty bad Knicks team that's on the second night of a back-to-back, you cannot go to overtime in that spot. The Hawks should feel lucky to get this win, no question about it, um, particularly when they were down like that. Um, but there you go. <laughs> the Hawks were able to uh, hold on. And, uh, yeah, they came back and won. So, credit to them for that. They won this game. They actually didn't cover the spread, which is kind of funny in this spot. But the Hawks will take the win. They're now 15-39 and 39 on the season, 9-17 and 17 at home. Looking ahead briefly to tomorrow, the Hawks will be on the road against Orlando. The Magic are not a terrifying team. But, at the same time, the Hawks will be on the back-to-back after a double overtime game in which all of their key pieces played 48 minutes or more. Um, we'll see who's we'll see who's available to play for the Hawks. Maybe Bembry and or Reddish could come, come, will come back in this game. No further updates on those guys just just for now. But Orlando Orlando played their last game at home, so they actually got the day off today at home. So they'll be in a, in a pretty advantageous spot. But the Hawks are uh, arguably as talented or more talented in some respects than Orlando. So that's obviously a winnable game, even with the difficult travel for Atlanta. Okay, thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, please subscribe to the show. Please tell a friend about the program, and we'll see you guys after the game on Monday evening.